All right, I think this is our last lesson in the book of Proverbs tonight. And so I took the, the next... Uh, the next theme that I thought was a pretty common theme in the book of Proverbs, and put this one as the last one. And so tonight, what we're going to look at is choosing God's plan for the family. Now, it's always, as I got ready to do this, it's always, you know, do you, it's going to be a mixed audience. Some of you have children at home, some of you don't, some of you are past that stage in your life, some of you are um, not at that stage of your life yet, So, uh, but I thought we'd look at this anyway, because we all have an impact on families around us, whether or not we're uh, going through this practically or not. And the book of Proverbs speaks an awful lot about the family. So what I want to do is I want to start with our key verse, which is Proverbs chapter 4. Now, you will want to have a Bible ready because there's two passages that were a little bit longer that I did not um, put on the handout tonight. So I put the references, but not the actual passages. So you'll want to have a Bible ready to go as we look at it. First of all, let's look at our key verse, Proverbs 4, 1 through 3. Proverbs 4, 1 through 3. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help us tonight as we... Look at the Bible. I pray that the truths would just speak to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me ask you this question as we do the introduction. When we talk about God's plan for the home or for the family, what, um, what picture automatically comes into your mind? Anybody? That uh, could, be, could be the right picture, wrong picture, stereotypical picture, this or that. Yes. The nuclear family, okay, so the literal father, mother, uh, sons, daughters. Yeah, it's interesting because the book of Proverbs is really set in a familial context. I mean, the whole book is about a father teaching a son. And then he references the mother all throughout. Anything else comes to mind when, uh, what about in pop culture? If you can think of the traditional family, who comes to mind in, in, uh... <laughs> no, that's, no, we'll leave that one alone. Go back to the 50s, maybe. We've got to do that, right, to get uh, 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 the police. That's pretty, that's pretty good, huh? Ozzy and Harriet, yeah, that's, that's before my time, way before, but yeah. I was thinking June and Ward uh, Cleaver, right, from Leave It to Beaver, so... Um, these are images that we have from, it was generational, that's actually very true, so, the Flintstones, oh, that's pretty good, but if you think really how much culturally we've changed, the way families were portrayed in pop culture as to how they're portrayed 
how they're portrayed now. It uh, has changed quite a bit. So I think a couple of things to say right off the bat. Like, I think there are some things that are, that sometimes people equate a Christian home with a traditional American home from like the 1950s or something like that. Are those two things equivalent? Well, not necessarily. And so there's some things that are traditional and culturally traditional. And there are other things that are biblical. We kind of look, want to look at that. And so some of that may come out a little bit later on this evening. So the book of Proverbs, as we said, is set in this very familiar setting. So let's, let's do this. Um, first of all, let's look at the first point, and this is the first of three, and I think these will be pretty self-evident as we go through them. We're going to look at fathers, mothers, and children, that nuclear family that uh, Mike mentioned. So three components to a godly home, three components to God's plan for the home. Number one are fathers who lead. Your blank is lead. Fathers who lead. What comes to mind when I say that? Fathers who lead. Any thoughts that come to mind right off the bat? Yeah? So just tagging along. Yeah, that 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 uh, being to, yeah, that proximity. Anybody else? What comes to mind? Yeah. The voice of wisdom. A voice of wisdom. Father should lead. A voice of wisdom. Yeah. I, I saw somebody posted recently that um, you know if you if you can get your father's advice today, be thankful because there'll come a day where you will not be able to. So yeah. Somebody else? What comes to mind? Father should lead. Anybody? Any other thoughts? In the negative, in the negative, I would think of it's an epidemic in our culture today of fatherless families. That there are just a lot of families that do not have fathers in the home, and the tragedy that that is. So, the let, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, number one, let's look at some of the principles of Proverbs. Number one, fathers who lead, and again, this is whether you really part of this is just built into Christian manhood as well. So the, the application is can be taken beyond, but the immediate application is to a father. I'd say number one, lead in love. Lead in love. Notice what it says in Proverbs 23 and verse 26 on the handout. My son, give me thine what? The father desires the heart of the child. Not just the outward obedience, but the love and affection. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. That's interesting. I've got a couple of thoughts on that verse as it relates to leading in love. But do you notice anything significant? Uh, what, what, what stands out to you with this idea? My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Anybody, something that stands out to you from that proverb? Yeah. What's that? Setting an example. Setting an example? And where do you see that? So, um, yeah. Let thine eyes observe my ways. Yeah. Watch, watch what I do. Watch what I do. So how is, how is love going to be significant here? How would you link the first part of the verse to that last part? 
Okay. How the father treats the son or the daughter's mother. That's going to be part of it. Frank, what were you going to say? If there's, if there's love from the father, the child is more submissive. Right. I think that's I think that's part of the main thing here is that the 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 child is more disposed to follow the leading if they have first if the father has first earned the heart affection of the child right which also means there can be no place in loving leadership there can be no place for hypocrisy right because he says here son you know me i want to give me you i want i want uh, you to give me your heart and so you can watch how I live, and you can live that out. And what's amazing is sometimes even if children go astray, if the father will maintain that faithfulness, it's like a magnet that eventually tends to draw back through that loving faithfulness. So leading in love. Any other thoughts on that? This idea of leading in love. Yeah, discipline's going to be a part of it. So let's uh, let's read on. So the second one here, second point. So fathers who lead lead in love, but then they also lead in law. They lead in law. How many of you had a father who laid down the law? I'm talking about <laughs> laid down the law. Well, it's a biblical concept. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4. We already read this earlier, but let's look at it again. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. And we'll get to the discipline part a little bit later, but the, the laying down of law provides that sense of order in the home, and a sense of order for that child's entire life. So, but as the the well, you tell me something. What is significant about the father as lawgiver? Any significance about the father as lawgiver? Yeah, Mike. Exactly. That fathers, men as lawgivers, we are modeling our heavenly Father, who is a loving law. Giver. Absolutely. Anything else about that? Any other thoughts on that? What is the purpose of the law? Protection. Protection. Absolutely. What else? Protection. Any other purposes of the giving of the law? Yeah. It's a, it is a method of success. Right? God would say to his people when he gave the law that he was giving them this law for their flourishing, for their good. So there is a type of law giving that is not loving. There's a type of law laying down the law that is self-serving. But if we model God in our loving leadership and laying down of the law, then that law is for the benefit of the, of the subject. In this case, would be the child. But we see... Or orderless, I don't know why that keeps doing that, but I guess you're just going to have to put up with it. We see orderlessness in our culture today, and a lot of that is because there's an orderlessness in the home. Just walk to a 
not in every school district, but in some of the tough school districts, walk into an elementary school classroom and you will see the lack of loving law giving in the home displayed in the classroom. So it's very important as, and I think for a lot of men, we are, we talked a little bit about this at our men's uh, man camp a few weeks ago, that a lot of men are being taught in our culture today to be passive in a lot of these roles, whereas we're actually supposed to be the opposite. Okay, right? So, we lead in love, we lead in law, and let me give you this third one. This third one, we lead in loyalty. We lead in loyalty. Now, per particularly loyalty to whom? Yes, to God, first and foremost. And then secondly, to whom? The spouse. That's vital. That absolutely vital. Ultimate loyalty is to God, and then he calls us to be loyal to our spouse. And especially, especially important for men at every age to be loyal to their wives. Proverbs speaks very harsh, very directly about this. In fact, if you have your Bible open, this is a strong passage for men. Proverbs 5 and verse number 15 and following. And a lot of this is... Um, this is poetic language, but I think everybody uh, um, will be able to read between the lines here. Proverbs 5, verse 15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be thine own, or only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. The idea there is you both aged. It's not a, you rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman? And embrace the bosom of a stranger, for the ways of a man before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. That is not just, our culture has, has made a, an easy way for people to do this through no-fault divorce. But no-fault divorce, to, to, for a man to divorce his wife and to take up with another woman, except for the very few biblical exceptions, makes him just as guilty. Just because it's legal in the court's eyes, doesn't make it legal in God's eyes. That's really important. The church needs to have a much clearer stand on that. Um, Jesus said, except it's for fornication, unless, there's been, unless there has been a, a violation of the marriage covenant, that stands. And to divorce a spouse, except for adultery, and to remarry, would be, would be in and of itself adultery. And in fact, if you go to chapter number 6, and you look down to verse number 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. 
But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. So part of part of loving leadership, part of loving leadership is that loyalty. If I could pause for a minute, Dad, I think they might need some help in the in the back. All right, let's go to, um, so this is for the men, the importance of fathers who lead. Secondly, now to the women, mothers who support. Mothers who support, that's the blank. So, the while well, the father has been called to a leading, this is God's plan for the family. So, as we understand the roles of men and women in creation, God created men with the purpose of leading, women with the purpose of supporting in the home, equal in worth, equal in value before God. The Bible actually says that in the church, there's through Christ, there's neither male nor female. There's not Jew, there's not Gentile. We're all one in Christ. So the Bible makes it clear that men and women are equal, but different in responsibility and different in calling. So, and again, this is a very countercultural thing for me to say right now. And I don't say it with any kind of attitude or chauvinism. Just if we want God's best for our lives, we're going to follow his plan. And we're going to do that for the family as well. So, mothers who, so fathers who lead and mothers who support. Number one, under number two, mothers who support, how? Well, particularly by strengthening the home. The New Testament refers to the woman as the keeper of the home. And that doesn't mean housekeeping, like sweeping up. It means the guardian of the home, the keeper, like the one who it's been entrusted to. So strengthening the home. Proverbs 14.1. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Interesting, right? That that the, the, the woman of the home has the ability to either build the house or to tear the house down. So when you're a guy like me talking about how women should be, you don't ask for discussion. You just move on to the next point and get through it as best you can. So we're going to move on. We'll let the ladies have their discussion about that. Just trying my best, Nate. So here I go. All right. So number next. Number next. So... Uh, strengthening the home, but secondly, submitting to their husbands. Submitting to their husbands. If we haven't been politically incorrect up until now, well, here we go. Submitting to their husbands. Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. You don't say amen there, Jim. That's, that's not what we do. We just quietly say, thank you, Lord, that I don't have a contentious or angry, angry woman. Now we go to Proverbs 27, verses 15 and 16. A continual dropping in a very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind. In other words, can you, can you, can you get a hold of the wind and lock it up somewhere? Well, that's about how successful you'll be with a contentious woman. So young men who are still looking for a spouse, the 
the book of Proverbs warns against that spirit of contention. And if a woman is going to build her house, she will do it through support and submission, not through contention. Verse 16, Whosoever hideth there hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. So, mothers who support by strengthening the home, by submitting to their husbands, and then, in, the, in this wonderful passage, by serving in honor. By serving in honor. The role, of, the, the, the role of submission in the home actually models the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was through his submission that he was exalted. And I want you to see this, because in, there's something really interesting here. Maybe we will talk a little bit about this one, because I think this is often, this idea of submission and the role of the Christian mother and wife is often misunderstood, and I think often falsely equated with a mid-20th century view. That isn't necessarily a biblical view. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Look at this position of honor in Proverbs 31. If you Proverbs 31, 10, we quote, we, we, the, probably the most, you go to Mother's Day all across the world and churches will read this scripture. But I want you to notice some things about this. How her, the, the position is really is of tremendous support and strengthening and honor in the home. Proverbs 31, look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Now, I want you to notice the description. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of oil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships that bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles to the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. I hope you noticed, obviously, that the mother in the home, the woman of the home, is supposed to be in a position of high esteem. But there is a movement... Some would call it the patriarchal movement, and that, that's a name that kind of gets thrown around. But I've, I've encountered some people that have a view of Christian womanhood that actually sounds very conservative and biblical at first glance, but when you compare it to this, it really doesn't match up. Anybody know what I'm getting at there? Like, you're nodding along. What, what do you think, Patrick? The patriarchy, the patriarchy, the patriarchy, and what they really mean is the subjugation of women by men. Sure. And what we aren't seeing in that type of a model is this type of a woman. You 
you know, who have autonomy and license to do business, to take care of her home, and to reflect on the reputation of her family. That's just, it's, it's not that patriarchy that people rail against. Right. It's a, it's a biblical picture of, of family that's different. Yeah, there are some, you will encounter some that will say, well, for instance, a, I've known Christian people that will say, well, I don't believe that a mother should ever work outside of the home. How many of you have encountered somebody with that kind of a view? Well, for one thing, it's great in an ideal world where people make all the money they need, but we live in the real world where families struggle to make ends meet. Um, but secondly, is that what we see in this virtuous woman here? Not at all. In fact, she's not like sending the kids off to school, knitting and making brownies all day. I mean, she's busy in, in she's an economic partner of the household. Um, she, is, she is given the responsibility of contributing to the economic success of the household. And it's, it's a position of honor that the, the husband is really depending on her to also fulfill that role. It's more of a partnership, it's biblical. So why do you think we sometimes have this other model out there? Any thoughts on that? It's not so biblical model. Yep. Yeah, could be. Yeah, Frank? Okay. Yep. We have male influencers who Sure, that can happen. I think some of it is a, I, I think some of it is a backlash, right? Like what happened was we went from a culture in, and it was really only a very short time. You're talking a couple of decades in American history where people were so prosperous that mom could just stay home during the day and had that luxury. And if you go back to earlier times and even American history, Yes, every, everybody stayed home. Unless dad worked in a, in, a, in a factory somewhere, they were farmers. They all worked on, on, in the family business, so to speak. Or they were immigrants who had a shop, and they lived up, upstairs. They all worked together, side by side. But then what happened culturally is we go through a, a time of prosperity, where we people are living very well on one income. But then you have this liberation movement in our culture. And now you see, sometimes you saw women completely rejecting the home life and focusing exclusively on their career to the detriment of their children. And I think what you see in some ultra-conservative Christian movements is that's a knee-jerk reaction to that. And it's like, oh, well, we have, we, we, we have people not embracing the biblical view of the family, so now we go to this other extreme over here, where when you see this in the book of Proverbs, it's not what it is at all. The Bible actually gives a very balanced perspective on all of that. So, like, like Mike said, let your views be formed by scriptures, not somebody's opinion or somebody's ideal. You, you settled with, with the Lord. So, yes? I was thinking as you were speaking, you really see Satan come in, especially, you know, during like the 60s and the wars. We're just continuing up wars. But Satan comes in, you know, he can break 
Right. children at home or not, we should be aware of this because the home is to be a model of our relationship with God. So that breaks down. People don't relate to God properly. So that's a very good point. Can I add something to that? Yeah. So when people have like broken thought, like fathers or like a broken family um, and no father, like the connotation of father and when we say the father Right. We refer. So, if you're like me and and you had a a, a wonderful childhood, a godly father, when you think of God as a father, it's 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 a good connotation. But if you were rejected by your father, obviously, yeah, that's not. You're not going to have the same thought there. That's why I love the Proverbs because it speaks to like a father to a son, and you can do a lot of reparenting with that if you'll sit with that and let it speak to you like your father in heaven is being your father there wow right like like the book of proverbs is the fatherly talks that you never got so to speak amen amen and you got the softness you know the wisdom of the holy spirit Yeah, I'm not a linguistic guy. Yeah, yeah, but you get softened, the gentleness and the softness. Right. You can see that balance. Well, the, the, yeah. God actually describes himself sometimes, mm-hmm. a, what, what was the picture? as the mother gathering the chicks. Yeah. Right? Uses that. The, it said, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. Amen. Yeah. Who's that verse that talks about God being the father of the house? No, yeah. Without going too far down the rabbit hole, I trust what both of them were saying about Satan, the father. Like I said, without getting too Well, Satan's a father too, father of lies. Yeah, but without getting too far, you made a good point that people who grow up with a father or with a bad father, the word father doesn't sound very good. Well, I will tell you that one of the two largest actual satanic cults actually says the father does not like you you will be better with your older brother interesting and call Satan your older brother yeah he knows the rules that he can show you what to do hmm. so that's what you can take direct advantage of the fact that some people are fatherless and are terrified of a father wow yeah. I was going to say something uh, yeah I was going to say when I, when I was growing up <clears throat> that uh, a lot of, I know my mother and a lot of, a lot of women would work because they needed the money, needed more income in their family, and just uh, the father of all working uh, families and they make enough money. Right. So, I mean, for tons of women worked as ladies, corners, wine, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes kind of goes back to our earlier. 
your point was that we're not after some utopian ideal that was a moment in American culture, let's say. We're after, well, what does the Bible say? And, what, and how does that apply to our real life? Yeah. Okay. Any, anything else before we move on? All right, well, let's go to the last section. So we've talked about the importance of uh, fathers and mothers. And then lastly, we will look at children who honor. Children who honor. First of all, children are to be trained in the truth. Trained in the truth. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's interesting that very often, most often, people end up behaving the way they were raised to behave, for good and for bad. I was listening to someone recently that talked about how, I think they were talking about youth ministry, and they were saying, you know, you observe young people, and very often, even the young people who complain about their parents, do not like their parents, give them five or six years, and their lives, the decision-making very much resembles their parents. Very interesting. Now, what is not discussed in Proverbs 22.6 are really two things, right? And those two things are that there are exceptions. So one is the free will choices that people make. Sometimes people knowingly know what is right, they've been trained in what is right, and they make a conscious decision to do what is wrong. Okay? I don't believe that this is a... Some people have misapplied this and put a lot of guilt on parents. Say, oh, something didn't turn out with your child, that means you, did, you necessarily did something wrong. That's not the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is giving us general life principles that God's built into the universe. Right? So it's possible for people to make the right decisions. However, then the other opposite is this. The, the, other, op, the other is this. Think, the thing that's not mentioned here is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. That somebody can be raised in a home where they are not trained right. And you may have been somebody that you didn't, you were trained in the complete wrong way to go, and you were converted, you were saved, and God puts you on the right path. But it is an important principle for we as parents. Are we training our children in the truth? It's an awful shame when we spend money and resources and time training our children how to properly throw a ball, but not in handling the Word of God or relating to the local church. And I believe that, and I think it's obvious, one of the biggest threats to the Christian family today is the organized sports movement. There's a lot of benefits to be had in it, but Christians, it's really sad because Christians lack so much discernment. There's so much discernment, and our children won't stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give their basketball stats. They will stand and give an account for their lives and their relationship to God. I had a friend of mine, or one of the guys in the church was telling me, he was coaching Little League Baseball this summer, and he told the other coach, he says, well, we won't be there on Sundays because we've got church. You know what the other coach said? He said, oh, we go to church too. But I guess not those days. He didn't say that part. But interesting, I just couldn't help but wonder if, what if all the Christians, even here where there's not a lot of Christians, what if all the Christians said, 
well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to participate in those. And we don't have to be ugly about it. I mean, I had a really good opportunity. Our kids have been playing in the sports leagues for a long time now. And um, one of the, the I, I really respect this guy. Uh, he was the president of one of the sports leagues. And after two seasons, he knew, knew we weren't playing on Sundays and we weren't playing on Wednesday nights. We were obviously early uh, from the game on Wednesday nights to get here. And um, he, he was setting up the new season. He told Deborah, he said, well, I got, I got him on a team where they're not going to have any games on Sundays. He just knew that. And it wasn't some big, we didn't, like, we didn't put up a big stink and be like, you know, uh, I can't believe you heathens play baseball. And we, we expect the world to do what the world does. But we also want to train our children to be different from the world, right? So whether it's that, our first job, I mean, we were trained from a young age. You get your first job, you just tell your boss right away, hey, I'll work, work any shift you want. I'll work any shift. I'll work the shift nobody wants to work. Right? There's a little give and take here, right? I'll work the hard shifts, but I don't work on, we don't work Sundays for church. We don't work Wednesday nights. We just never did. And got every job I really wanted. So it's worked out, you know, and, and sometimes we just make those hard decisions for our training, training. Anyway, rabbit trail there. Okay. Trained in the truth. Then taught to obey. Taught to obey. Uh, those of us with young children, we are instructed in the Bible to use corporal discipline on them, corporal punishment. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be times. That means they're going to need some spankings. And they're going to need them often. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I was in college, so write it down, because all, most of my, most of my, what I didn't learn growing up with my own parents, most of the stuff I learned was in, in college for some really good influences. And he gave us some good advice on this. He says, most of this, most of this corporal discipline should be done by the time a child is about eight years old. They should, they should know. And um, it, with some exceptions, I've observed that to be true. And my, if it's consistent and done properly. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, withhold not correction from the child. Now, we have to understand some of the older language here. We read this, so just keep that in mind. Withhold not correction from the child. If thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. We're obviously, he's speaking very literally, but he's not speaking about any kind of abuse. Obviously, he shall not die. This is not anything that would threaten the health or well-being of the child. But... The physical discipline is, is um, biblical, and physical discipline is legal in the state of Massachusetts. Verse 14, thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. The point of the scripture is that active discipline should be done for the good of the child, for the benefit of the child, not, not for the vindication of the parent, but for the spiritual well-being and the physical well-being of the child. All right. If anybody has questions about that, those are better done in, I think, private settings. Finally, testimony. What, what is the result of this? Children who honor, that is a testimony of honor. A testimony of honor. Proverbs 23, verses 24 through 25. 
there's a T missing there in my copy and paste, so forgive me. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Testimony divine. So, with that, these are just some principles. There's far more that can be said. Appreciated your perspective on how the family models that relationship that we have with Christ. So we should be praying for each other, praying for our children, some children at home, some have children that are entering adulthood or at different stages, some have children that are struggling spiritually, and we need to pray for them as well and, and be burdened one with another for that. So let's... Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for how it speaks to us. But I do pray tonight for all of the children and the families of our church. Lord, I pray for the, the boys and girls that are downstairs right now, the children that come to Sunday school. I, I pray for those whose parents come to church, that you'd help us to be faithful examples. Please steer our children and help, us, help them to see genuine hearts in us. I pray for the children who are here whose parents do not know you. Lord, we pray that you do a miracle in those homes, that through this ministry that the boys and girls would come to trust you and that we'd be able to reach their parents, and Lord, that you could change the, just the trajectory of their lives and their eternities. I do pray for those who have children or family members, young people, whether it's children or grandchildren, that are not walking with you. God, I pray that you would help us to be patient and help us to be perseverant in our love and prayers. And we just pray, God, that you would do your work to draw them. We thank you that you are our loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.